Welcome to the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You may attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-520-80640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Veronica was recorded on January 18th, 2024. Thank you so much, Gretchen. Everyone here who's in service, including if you're just listening. I can't believe this moment is here. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And this is my first long form qualification as an ACA and in any 12 step program. So this moment feels really, really special. And I just. I'm connecting with all your faces on the screen. That's part of my recovery is to attune to other human beings. So if you want to be on camera just to say hi or to be on for the whole session, that would be amazing. I would really appreciate feeling your presence. Don't worry about looking good or um, disturbing anyone with your movements. Nobody's watching. It's okay to be seen and heard. Um we deserve that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just going to scroll over to the other screen and make sure I'm seeing everyone here. Oh, your smiles really mean everything to me. It really um, is healing when we reach out to other humans and they reach back to us. And it's such a simple, fundamental aspect of being alive uh, that I have missed out on personally. So um I didn't set my timer, but now I did. And <laughs> so I'm going to introduce myself a little bit and then uh, dive in. I am an adult child of alcohol, alcoholism and dysfunction, and I belong here. And my higher power brought me here to be of service to you, whether you're listening uh, to the recording or you're here live or something else. Um, I'm just going to connect with my higher power now and you can take some time to do that too, if you like, and just ask for the highest outcome possible and ask to be given the right words to bring healing and peace and serenity and joy and presence and consciousness to this space. I just affirm my openness to be a channel for the love of spirit in all its forms and just praise and thanks for this opportunity to be seen and heard. Oh, so I am a gifted and intense person. And um, if this uh, share becomes a lot for you at any time, I want to validate that because I speak with depth of feeling and uh, I'm not going to hold back tonight. This is the first time in my life I've allowed myself to just fully be myself. And I've been in preparation for it for over a year 
when I first entered ACA, I noticed there were these qualifications, these speaker meetings, and they brought me so much life and medicine. And I've been eagerly awaiting the moment that my higher power ordained that it would be my turn because I actually love public speaking. It is just part of my DNA. And I also love recovery and I love so many people here. Like I am so grateful to the fellow travelers who showed up because they knew I would be speaking. I just am so honored. And uh, I love this meeting. It's brought me so much hope and peace and strength uh, through the last better part of two years of my recovery. And um, I, I do live in Costa Rica. I moved here six years ago. And um, that's part of my story that I'll share with you. Um, I'm a mindfulness yoga and meditation teacher. Um, that's also something I look forward to sharing with you tonight. I have been healing from complex PTSD for over five years. I started that journey before I found ACA. So I'm going to share about that with you too. Um, I've been on a wild healing journey with my higher power and I'm going to start there after I finish giving us the lay of the land. What else? I am an architect. I am an artist. Uh, my creativity is a huge part of who I am. And I'm so grateful to this program for helping me embrace and acknowledge that. Um, uh, yeah, that feels like a good place to start. I've I've imagined how I would start this conversation so many times and <laughs> have found all these different angles for how to jump in. And I always knew that I couldn't plan it out. I mean, I do have a notebook with post-it notes and many <laughs> copious notes prepared so that I don't miss any of the medicine um, to share with you. And my intention is to give back what's been given to me. And so, so much has been given to me. So I'm really going to do my best and not let my inner critic tell me that it's not going to be good enough because that is something that comes up for me every single time I try and do anything that I love is this idea that it wouldn't be good enough. And the title of my talk tonight is free to be me because that's something that my inner child wrote to me a few weeks ago, uh, that she knows she's free to be me. And I am embracing that for the first time in my life. Uh, so all of you here are actually bearing witness to the very early blossoming of a flower. And I'm so tender and raw and scared and excited and grateful and happy because I know this is a safe space. And that's what ACA has really meant to me is this for the very first time space of, of true safety even though I know that that safety actually exists within me and that you're all just mirrors for it. And this room is just a mirror for the safety that I can, I have the capacity to feel. And, and that capacity to feel safe is growing with every single word, with every single second in this talk. So I really hope to share that with you because we're doing it together. This 
program has really helped me tune into being a part of something bigger than myself, Um, being a part of a group consciousness that has its own will that is bigger than mine and, and, and can hold me and support me. And that's not something I ever got from my parents. I never got to feel held and supported. I didn't have a family that was around for Veronica. Um, And now I do through this program. And it's something that I know will never leave me. ACA will always exist in my lifetime and ACAs will always exist. I'll always be able to find a space of safety and understanding. And that's the only thing I've always wanted in my life. And, and to have that now is this, this initiation of a whole new journey of, okay, having that safety to be myself, what will I choose to do? And, and I'm a young person and um, that might be triggering for some people. My intensity might be triggering. Um, maybe it won't. Maybe we'll all just be super peaceful and happy this whole time. Who knows? I'm open to it all. And um, yeah, so sort of three topics tonight, spiritual awakening, complex PTSD and self-regulation and embodied reparenting. Uh, So those are things that that I'm gonna share with you all. And before we do that, I would like to share a gift that I have, which is the practice of mindfulness. And uh, when I was 17, I went to the library because that was the one place in the world I actually did feel safe. And I was looking for answers. And uh, I wanted to heal my family. They were, trying to kill me in many ways and had been for a long time, but I still felt this, this love, this grace, this peace inside of me, this hope, this spark. And I know that to be spirit now. Um, I know that I have been protected and guided and loved by a power that is something we call spirit, um, has many names. Um, and, and it guided me to the library (laughs) and I found this, uh, the, the, world religions section. I I was raised Christian and I had this, this fire for the Holy spirit when I was a child that was original to me. It was, um, uh, manipulated and, and, and abused for a long, large part of my childhood, but something remained. And, um, I went to the library finding, (laughs) <laughs> this book on Buddhism and this Zen master named Thich Nhat Hanh spoke to me from the pages of this book of suffering for the very first time. And I saw myself in those pages and those words. And I thought, wow, this person understands suffering. I'm going to keep listening to what he has to say. And that was my, my first experience with mindfulness. I remember a time when my dad was yelling at me again. And I was uh, fresh off these pages about breathing and walking and being present and having sovereignty over my emotions. And my dad, I don't even remember what he was yelling about, but I just remember looking at him and being like, I have a choice. And I got up and I walked out of the house And I left the conversation. I remember turning around as I crossed the front lawn and looking out over my shoulder at the door, expecting him to come chasing after me and keep yelling. And he didn't. And 
I got to the street and I took these first mindful steps and suddenly the anger I had felt was gone. And I thought, what just happened? I'm free. And for the very first time in my life, I realized that the anger had no power over me and that nothing could ever have power over me because I could choose how I felt. Simply by breathing and taking space from that anger, I was able to feel peace and joy. And it was this complete shock because I was 17. I'd never experienced peace in my life. So yeah, from that moment on, I felt a lot of anger and a lot of shame and fear and awful things. It wasn't a quick fix, uh, but 15 years later, mindfulness continues to be the one thing that has helped me heal uh, consistently the most. And um, so if if you'd like to, I'm going to take a moment to just practice a little mindfulness and I'll say out loud what I'm doing. And if it feels right to you, you can follow along. And if not, just listen or connect with something else that brings you peace. Uh, my breath is where my attention goes when I close my eyes. Uh, if you want, we can do some heart coherence breathing. The Heart Math Institute has proven that when groups of people breathe in synchrony together, uh, our hearts start to entrain, that is to beat to the same rhythm. And so if it feels right and good and true for you, eyes open or closed, we can all exhale together and I'll meet you at the bottom of your exhalation and we can breathe in and out three times. So breathing in. I'm breathing out. You can use a sound or a sigh to help liberate energy. Breathing in. I'm breathing out with a sound or a sigh. And let's breathe in together one more time. Uh, letting it all go. That's my favorite part of mindfulness is letting go. Mindfulness is just about being present in the here and now, aware. That's the first part. Accepting. That's the second part. And the third part is non-judgment. So I'm aware of the smell of incense that I put on before this call. Help me create a sacred space and connect with my ancestors who are healing through me as I share. And I'm accepting that my body feels very shaky and full of energy and emotion. I'm so excited to see these beautiful faces and names on the screen. And I'm not judging the urge to rush, the urgency that I feel to say everything and 
be the most helpful and the most inspiring. I'm aware of those parts of me and they get to be here too. I get to make space for them too. They're part of me. The breath of life is one of the ways I refer to my higher power. It's this loving presence that comes and supports me without me having to ask for it or to try or do anything. When I practice breathing, I remember that my needs are always provided for and that I'm not alone. And that's one of my favorite parts of the third step prayer. Um, I'm, I'm sharing a little bit of resource before I dive into the story, because one of the things about healing trauma is that if we dive straight into the middle of the vortex, we can get lost in it. And there's something that Peter Levine, who I've trained with and studied somatic experiencing with, uh, says uh, he uses this technique called titration, and it's actually from science from chemistry, where if we want to add two things together and they might cause an explosion, we very gently drop, drop by drop those chemicals together because they do want to mix and create something beautiful. But if we go too fast, we can actually blow up the whole experiment. So um, one of my favorite resources is this note card that I created when I was going through the yellow workbook. And uh, it has all of the uh, affirmations from steps one, two, and three uh, in one place. And I've been using this now uh, as a grounding cord through some of the toughest moments of my journey. Um, and uh, on the back, I also wrote the third step prayer. And um, that is, God, I am willing to surrender my fears and to place my will and my life in your care today, one day at a time. Grant me the wisdom to know the difference between the things I can and cannot change. Help me to remember that I can ask for help. I am not alone. Amen. Uh, my higher power, who I refer to as God, is... Uh, a loving presence, as I said, and um, I actually use a definition that I learned in this fellowship that really gets me there, which is God is a Germanic, an, an ancient Germanic word. Uh, so it comes from my ancestors, uh, which means the highest good of radiating energy. And that for me is this higher power that I can feel a part of and that I feel move in me that I get to surrender to. And um, I'm going to dive in a little bit um, with my ancestors here and, and go back to the beginning. Um, and, and the title of this, this card here is Affirming a New Direction Toward Freedom. And so uh, the first affirmation is I am powerless over the effects of alcoholism. And I know that to be true. Um, both of my parents are children of alcoholics. And uh, my mother was born in Poland. And I actually come from a long line of women who could hear the voice of the earth and were very sensitive, spiritual, and strong healers. And um, 
at some point, this energy of alcoholism became their, uh, the dominating force in my lineage. Um, my grandmother, my mother's mother actually watched her husband shot in front of her by Russian soldiers during World War II, uh, and then went on to have my mother. Um, and so I know that this grief that my grandmother experienced was passed on to my mother. And when she was raising me in Connecticut in the United States, uh, she had no roots. She wasn't connected to her homeland. Uh, she was six when they moved to Massachusetts. And uh, her father survived the stress of being an immigrant in the United States uh, and an entrepreneur uh, by drinking alcohol. And I know that there's a legacy of trauma in my DNA that comes from belonging to a lineage of Polacks whose uh, liberation and independence uh, is, is only about 100 years old. Uh, the, the country of Poland wasn't a sovereign nation um, for, until very recently. And uh, during the Holocaust, uh, unfortunately, many, many, many millions of people died. Uh, and half of them were actually killed simply for being Polish. Um, and it's this pain that lives in my ancestry that that nobody talks about in the world at large. Um, there's very little grieving of the actual uh, atrocities that happened in the history of Poland. Um, and so I've taken on some of that work as part of my recovery and, and taking this, as they call it in the yellow book, this burden, this bundle of shame that's been passed on to me uh, and, and really starting to unwrap it and understand, okay, like who's in here? Um, and so my mother, also an adult child, uh, she was the first person who introduced complex PTSD to me because at one point uh, she was researching her own PTSD. And, and I, I thought to myself at that point, I was um, in my mid mid twenties, um, is it possible to inherit CPTSD? Um, and, and that was when my therapist said, well, you know, possibly we don't know very much about it. Um, and, and since then, it's incredible how many resources there are for complex PTSD. Um, that was about six, seven, maybe eight years ago. Um, and my father, uh, he was, uh, he, he is the descendant of many European nations. Um, his mother was a seamstress and his father uh, a salesman um, who, as I understand, also drank. Uh, he was a veteran of World War II. He flew in a fighter pilot, uh, a fighter jet. And, and so on both sides of my lineage, there is an enormous amount of violence and war and fighting. And um, my father lived that out by playing us war movies as our bedtime stories. Uh, so I grew up in a war zone. Um, I, I remember um, the, the, the first time that I had a, an, a vulnerable conversation with my ex-husband about his experiences growing up in Iran during uh, the Iraq-Iran war. 
And I could see in his eyes that this child who had grown up bombs falling around him, not knowing where he was going to wake up the next morning, experienced the same amount of distress that the child in me experienced living in a household with my father, the alcoholic and narcissist, and my mother, the adult child codependent, who is completely incapable of actual emotional connection and, and functioning. I described both of my parents as emotionally and mentally ill for a long time before I understood dysfunction. And um, when I was in the womb, there was so much stress and drama around my mother um, that uh, she went uh, into exercise as her drug um, and so exercised herself into um, lots of adrenaline while my father was uh, attacking her. And um, generally, uh, my mother told me that that she didn't want to have children, but felt that she would regret it if she didn't. So I came into the world and uh, immediately felt unsafe. Uh, within my first year of life, my mother's only sister, older, by several years passed away. Uh, and my father's both mother and father passed away. So during the first year of my life, my family reduced by half. Uh, at that point, I only had one grandmother left my mother's mother, who, as I mentioned, uh, had seen real trauma during World War II. Um, and she was essentially comatose. She was a uh, sick her whole life because the uh, system didn't understand depression. Uh, and medicated her with the wrong supplements or medications. Um, and, and so I really grew up alone. And um, the first years of my life were a war zone. Um, my brother was born when I was three and a half. And I instantly knew that I was going to have to take care of him because there was no way he was going to get his needs met in our home. And um, that for me is sort of the first sign of the presence of spirit and love in my life. I had no reference point for love. My, my family was my mom and my dad, and that's it. There were no aunts and uncles or cousins around, no grandparents. And that continued uh, through the abuse. I was... Um, in the schematic meetings, which if you haven't been to an ACA schematic meeting, let me plug that for you right here and now. They're amazing. Um, there are five daily basic needs, uh, food, water, ventilation, um, sleep, and appropriate stimulus level. And the stimulus level that I received was not sufficient. I have a gifted mind and need to be stimulated. I also am uh, a highly sensitive person and I'm high sensation seeking. Knowing these three things about myself is only because I have gone through this process of deprogramming my false self and uncovering my true self. And ACA is, is the entire reason for that. And so I truly know who I am today in, in large part because of this program, because I had no people around me to help me figure out who I was. There, nobody cared. Nobody ever came to ask Veronica how her day was. That was a totally foreign concept to me. The idea that I had feelings and I mattered never got through. 
and the the abuse um my mother really suffered um I, when i was you know 5 6 7 years old uh that was sort of the height of it and um you know i just remember being 3 years old and and my mom breastfeeding my brother and me getting in there because i'm still kind of a baby and my dad coming storming in towering over screaming and yelling how could you nurture these babies like this child you know she's too old to be best fed and that was when the shame started and i felt in my dad this malicious need to separate the connection between me and my mom and to to he felt threatened by the fact that the two of us were close not close i mean she wasn't emotionally available she was a dead rock um but the fact that i could have any kind of bond with her really threatened his his position of power uh, so he worked his adamantly to destroy that and um when i was 9 my mom uh took me aside and said we're getting a divorce veronica um you know i think she asked me what do you want and i said well i don't want to live with dad anymore i was i was so excited and and so hopeful about this divorce because I thought things would change. Uh, what happened was I ended up living half time with my father and half time with my mother. And so things got much, much worse. I felt completely abandoned by my mother. Uh, she, in, in, in my child mind, I, I never felt abandoned. Um, I had the feelings. I couldn't feel them. Um, it's only been through this program that I've been able to to name my mother abandoned me. She left me with with a, a an alcoholic and a narcissist who she herself was running away from. And um, in fact, the judge uh, was going to give her full custody, but my dad convinced her to to keep half. Um, <clears throat> so this is where uh, things really go downhill for little Veronica. Um, this is her. Yeah. Um, my dad was verbally, mentally, um, psychologically, emotionally abusive. Uh, he knew exactly what to say in order to destroy my sense of self and my self-esteem. He's also a gifted person uh, who was never acknowledged for his gifts. My mother is too. Neither of them were, were acknowledged for their giftedness. They're very intelligent um, in many ways, uh, not emotionally. Um, but uh, so I would, I would wake up at dad's house every Monday and Tuesday wake up at mom's house every Wednesday and Thursday, and then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, they would alternate. And so I never spent more than five days in one house between the ages of nine and 15. Um, my dad uh, committed the, the ultimate um, acts of, of abuse before I have language to describe them. Uh, he did sexually abuse me as an infant. My body remembers. I don't have the mental memories of it. Um, but the fact that this rush of energy in my body right now comes through when I say that out loud um, lets me know that that's real. 
And that's the only way I know it's real because it's so easy to doubt myself. What kind of father would do that? Um, well, when I was 11, I, uh, it was April fool's day and my brother and I were cleaning up after dinner and he told my brother told me about this prank where you put saran wrap over the toilet and it makes somebody, uh, you know, pretty unhappy when they go to the bathroom. And, uh, it was a joke. We were children. I was 11 and, and he was eight. And, um, I let him convince me to do it. And, uh, it was after dinner. So my dad was drunk and he was drunk every single night. He never drank during the day, but as soon as it was dinner time, he, he was guaranteed to get drunk. And I never knew what to expect from him. That was the worst part is he could be funny and lighthearted and silly and smart one minute. And then the next, just a massive I, 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 asshole. I, there's no other word. I mean, it was just a, a tremendous expression of malice and contempt and hatred when he really got going. And, um, he went into the bathroom and screamed and came back out. And my brother and I were laughing because it was funny. It was a joke. Uh, but my dad in that moment tried to kill me and I'm not going to share the details because that's not important. Um, but to be able to tell this story right now, the way it happened and not with a, a cold removal of just the facts is the culmination of my recovery. Um, my dad was arrested that night. My brother called my mom who called the police who arrested him. And he later told them that he felt threatened by me. And that was his excuse. Um, of course, we can pause for shock that an adult man would be threatened by an 11-year-old girl. <sighs> After that, the judge gave him 10 sessions of anger management therapy. That was the whole sentence. And a few months later, my mom sent me back to live with him. And that was because she was living in another town and she couldn't be bothered to take me to school every day. She could only keep up with half. So she sent me back. And it's just this month, literally as of 18 days, that I can say that I felt abandoned by her. I felt abandoned by the whole world. There was not a single person who reached out and said, Veronica, that was wrong. What he did to you is unacceptable. In no situation, scenario, case, world, or reality, is it okay for a father to put his hands on his child with malice and without regard for their life? And I felt that in that moment. I felt that he was capable of not caring about my life. And that was when the light in me broke. Something broke. I, my heart snapped shut and stayed shut. 
for 20 years. And those years living with my dad and my mom back and forth, my 12 year old speaks to me all the time. My inner 12 year old. She's, she's the one I've been working a lot with. And she's the one that said tonight should be called free to be me. And, and she's the one that's healing now. Um, I have a lot of other inner children, um, who I work with as well. And, um, one of them is, is my inner 15 year old because, uh, I, I went on living with my dad acting as if he had never tried to kill me for the next four years. And, um, he kicked me out when I was 15. Uh, there was a, a moment before Christmas where, uh, he was complaining about us not getting there every year on Christmas on time. They had the the deal where mom gets Christmas Eve, dad gets Christmas day. Uh, and, and dad was upset because we were never there early enough on Christmas day. And I said to him in my innocence, shouldn't you just be grateful that we're here at all? Genuinely confused. I thought at some point, you know, parents love to be with their kids. Uh, something in me still thought that was how it was supposed to be, even though it's not what I was experiencing. And um, that devolved into a multi-hour blackout rage uh, argument and ended with him telling me, and I quote, pack your shit and get the fuck out. And 15-year-old Veronica grabbed what she could and walked across town to her best friend's house. And in the morning when... When she called her stepmom and said, can you please bring my books to school? Because they were too heavy to carry last night. She said, did you ask your father if you could stay out on a school night? As if nothing had happened. And I was the only one who remembered that my beloved father and his wife had kicked me out of the house in the middle of the night. Because they were drunk. And so I had to, again, act like nothing had happened. But this time I wasn't. This time I said I wasn't going back. And that was when I grew up and I got a job, started paying my mom rent. I went on to study architecture because I needed to get out of that town. And I thought that I had to get a job and a profession and a career. Ended up not being something that's truly me. I've never known who I truly am. I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, I had a pretty hard day today because I still don't know what, how to get my life together. Um, 33 years old and in just so much debt and not sure where I'm going with my career and my life. And I have such big dreams and so much hope for the future. And, and I, I belong here. I'm an adult child and I am still trying to figure out how I want my life to look. And, um, man, 45 minutes goes by so fast. <laughs> um, there's, there's so much to share, perhaps, um, I'll share um, 
in the last five minutes, I'll, I'll give you like a, a barrage of my favorite tools for recovery, the things that have helped me the most. Um, but until those five minutes come, I'll share about how I got here. Um, I was in uh, a space of having been completely sober from relationships, called it celibate for uh, a time. And uh, somebody came across my path, a man who I was really attracted to and started a relationship with. And at that time, I met someone who was in both SLAA, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, and ACA. And she told me about 12-step recovery. And when she talked, I felt like, oh, love is something I can be addicted to. That's what's up. It had felt like there was this tiger in a cage that I had been uh, trying not to let out. And that was my sex and love addiction. Um, and, and I had been sort of managing it, but, uh, because I was toying with this new relationship, I was starting to feel all kinds of ways. And when she spoke, I realized that, uh, there was something there for me. And then there was a night when I was telling this boyfriend, please don't drink around me. I can't handle it. When you drink alcohol, around me. It really triggers me and stresses me out. Can you just not drink when I'm around? That shouldn't be so hard. Right. And he was fine for a while, but then at a certain point he was like, you know, Veronica, the, this friend of mine has a wife and she's an alcoholic and she can hang when we're drinking. And so why can't you? And I was like, wait a minute, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not, I've used pot and booze to cope, but I don't experience those addictions. And you know, why is this bothering me so much? And that was when I realized I was carrying the pain of my father with me still, and that it was his shame. It was his problem. He was the alcoholic, not me. I had, I had stopped drinking alcohol at that point for at least six years and it was still bothering me. And so I've done a lot of personal transformation development work. And I knew that's a sign there's a pattern, something needs to be untangled. And so the next day I, I went to my first ACA meeting and I cried the whole time and I kept coming back and I've been coming back for almost two years, working this program every single day. And I am so excited to say to any newcomers in the room that if you're just exploring this program, it a hundred percent works. If you work it, it really does it. And you're worth it. You, you a hundred percent, a thousand percent are worth it. And, and yeah, even if you're not a newcomer, you're worth it. <laughs> and, um, so my path has been to, uh, sort of dive bomb the yellow workbook. I went through the yellow workbook in one of the, uh, WSO workshops where there's like 18 weeks and you do a step each week. And that was really, really good because the yellow workbook has a lot of shame triggers in it for me. I've, I've known other ACAs who feel this way too. Uh, but for me, it was way too easy to fall into shaming myself with the yellow book. So I needed to stay on the surface when I went through the steps that time. I did all the worksheets. I did all the questions. I did all the work, but I didn't sit and linger with it. 
And now I'm sitting and lingering with Tony A's 12-step workbook and really going through that as slowly as I possibly can, working with a group of four other fellow travelers uh, who are just light and love and and safety itself. Um, and, and for sure, the Big Red Book has been uh, the most impactful book of my entire life. I have it on Kindle and I really love that because if I'm having an issue, I can just go in there and search a word and, or a phrase, and it'll populate all these different options. And so it's a really incredible tool. For example, I Googled the other day, feelings are, and then I just looked at all the sentences, which say feelings are, and that helped me figure out what I was going through in the moment. Um, and then the loving parent guidebook is an essential tool. I have not had the guts to work through it all. I read through three quarters of it by myself, but I don't think that counts as working it. Um, this is not a self-help program. This is not a self-help program. It only works when we work it together. Um, I have to shout out to my beloved sponsor, here. She's watching and smiling. Hi. Hi, beloved. Thank you so much. I just got so lucky. I found a sponsor and, um, you know, I was at the schematic, the ACA schematic meeting and I got their phone list and they have a column which says sponsor. Uh, are you willing to sponsor? And so I just texted all the people on there who said yes. And I just said, I'm looking for a sponsor. Can you help? And maybe gave like a couple sentences of introduction. Um, and somebody from that list uh, said, well, I'm not available, but my sponsee is. Um, and so she, my grand sponsor, connected me to, I see you, hi. <laughs> she connected me to to my current beloved most important, powerful fellow traveler. Um, I didn't know my grand sponsor. We've, this is our first time meeting. And, and she, out of the goodness of her heart and trust and faith, connected me to this amazing human being who has helped me through so many moments. I have never in my life had someone, anyone that I could just pick up the phone and call in any moment. And um, that is, is the most healing thing I've experienced in this program to, to have human beings that I can reach out and touch who actually care and will listen and affirm and validate. And I just, I really look forward to that next step where I get to be that person to other people because it has changed my life so, 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 so much. And um, just pick up the phone send a text, make a call. It, that has been the hardest thing I've learned is that it's okay. You know, I'm, I'm scared and uncomfortable and it brings up all this shame. Um, but to, to be able to do that proves to me that I can, and, and I'm not alone and I don't feel that same void. Five minutes, Veronica. Bless. Thanks, Christian. I don't feel the empty black void that was this bottomless pit that I tried to fill with sugar 
and coffee and cake and television and sex and love and alcohol and codependency and all of it. What I feel now is a sense of self. And I never had that before. I didn't know it was possible. And and instead now, when I feel abandoned, when my boyfriend dumps me or my best friend and coworker dumps me, what happens is I go to me. I, I grab my tools and I go to my inner family and I take care of them and I take care of me. And I feel like my own best friend and like, I know how to spend time with myself now. I didn't know that was a real thing. I mean, I believed it. I wanted to, but I can actually enjoy my own company now. Yes. That's what's up, Renee. (laughs) I can, I can spend time alone. Yes, Michelle, I see you too. (laughs) And Susie. I never thought that I would ever be able to enjoy my own company. I just didn't think it was real. Um, But the thing is, I do feel freedom from shame and blame. What they say in the solution is possible. And it comes from having a safe space to express my grief, to, to know that I don't have to grieve. It's actually not possible to grieve alone. There's an author named Carla McLaren who has a book called The Language of Emotions, which I've bought so many copies for people. It's this like Bible of emotions. And um, the chapter on grief talks about how grief is the river of all souls. And it's this emotion that we drop into and completely dissolve in that there's no sense of self when we're in grief. It's just grief. And it's just this river, this rushing river of all souls. And I think what happens when we lose someone, when we lose ourselves, when we lose a possible self is that we just are plunged right into that river and it's rushing and there's nowhere to hold on to and it's swirling and it's over our head and we can't breathe. And it's like, and so we, we don't let ourselves go there when we're alone because it's not safe. We need other nervous systems. We need other bodies. I need to reach out and grab you and say, look at this with me. And you need that too. And so that's what we give each other in ACA is like, okay, yep. Yeah, it's wet here. Whoa, it's deep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's fast. That's all I know. And and we're all just in it together. And and we don't know, but we know. (laughs) We know we don't know. and, And we know it's a lot. And not to have to be in that alone is, is how we can, we can tolerate it. We can cope with it. And in my last minute, I want to just thank you. Like, thank you spirit for teaching me that I can do this, that I can feel these emotions. Thank you for showing me what I'm capable of and, and for, for giving me the space to awaken to a sense of wholeness.
which is what our solution is. It's the promise is that we will awaken, awaken, not create. It's always been there. We're waking up to this sense of wholeness. Um, and, and that wholeness, I believe we can express through each other. We can experience through each other. I am me because you are you, that concept of Ubuntu. Um, I exist because you exist and we are in co-creation of this life.